I'm Zanati Guma and you're watching Stockwatch and joining me to wrap this week up are Gary Boyson from Rand Swiss Offshore and Roy Mutooni from APSA Asset Management. Thank you to the both of you for joining us. Let's start off with um, central banks. I mean, that was really the big thing this week. 13 central banks had meetings. Uh, Gary, I want to start off with you. What stood out for you from those central bank uh, decisions this week? Um, yeah, a lot of them came came in line. So, I mean, I think the big ones, the ones that certainly that I was watching was, uh, of course, the, the U.S. Fed and, and, and the commentary afterwards. Uh, you know, my expectation was it's a little bit weird as the, as the announcement came through, because uh, my, my reading of it was that they were pricing in, uh, it, you know, just before the announcement, they were pricing in about a 80 basis point hike if you, hike if you looked at the Fed funds futures. So that should mean, you know, like a slight, uh, I suppose, currency weakness if we got the 75 basis point hike, which we did get. Um, and it immediately immediately sort of saw the S&P drop and I mean that should actually be taking a little bit of risk out of the market and then of course it was the commentary that was, was just read as far more hawkish uh, it's one of the reasons I think you've seen the the rand uh, you know almost 1790 to the US yeah. dollar today um, you know looking looking at uh, our own local central bank as well it, you know I, I think it was also they, they were fairly hawkish even though we, we got I mean you know, economists were split before the decision between 50 basis points and 75 basis points I think eight were saying 50 uh, 12 were saying uh, 75 um, we got the 75 but uh, yeah again the rand didn't particularly strengthen on the back of that which you would expect it it almost makes me think that uh, there was a whisper number behind that and, and I know certainly in our discussions there was there was kind of speculation could they surprise us with a with a one percent hike uh, from from the uh, after the MPC, and and then once you look at uh, how the governors were voting, I mean it was it was very very possible. So you know, out of the five the five uh, people that vote, um, you know three voted for seventy five, but two voted for one percent. So mm. another very very hawkish signal from from our central bank as well. But uh, there's no question. Looking at all of them, the monetary policy is tightening across the globe, and it's uh, yeah. obviously having uh, having I suppose well we hope in the next uh, you know six six twelve months it's going to have its uh, desired effect and we're going to see yeah. uh, inflation starting to come down. Uh, Roy, um, Gary mentions, of course, the uh, voting uh, when it comes to the MPC. So three voted for a 75 basis point hike and then you had two voting for a 1% hike. Um, we were quite close to actually getting a 1% hike in South Africa. And I'm wondering if this is as hawkish as they are going to get this year. Look, I think the whole point of that 1% um, drift is that South Africa started a little bit late in the cycle, um, and there's a feeling that you want to get ahead of it, because what the U.S. have effectively done is they've said, now, whatever it takes, we could actually get to 4, 45 5% even, and rates will be kept high for a period of time. So it isn't how we thought previously. The curve would be rates peak and then start coming off relatively quickly. So I, I think that's what the, 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 governors, the governor was thinking here, and that's what the voting members were thinking, that you're actually better off being ahead of the curve, uh, being punitive early, so that when it's time to come off, um, you, could, you, you actually have the luxury of being quite aggressive coming off. So, mm. look, I think the, the point here is global liquidity is reducing 
QT is is tightening. QT is there, and and the US seems to have so much space in terms of curtailing its own growth to fight um, inflation that you just better get in line. You, mm. you cannot fight the Fed now. Yeah. Um. Just on that. Um. There's quite a lot of debate as to whether the Saab was behind the curve, ahead of the curve, or on the curve. So even uh, a comment from the governor yesterday, he was saying. Well, he doesn't think that they are ahead of the curve uh, because you had Latin America hiking before the Saab. Um, so he was saying that maybe the Saab was on the curve. But I'm thinking if they were ahead of the curve, would then we, would we not be seeing a significant deceleration in inflation by now, Gary? I don't, I don't think so. so. So remember, you know, inflation, you know, central bank action um, takes typically 12 to 18 months to, to feed into the system. And, and we're still, we, we're still, it's still unknown as to how, how these uh, interest rate hikes are going to affect us. Mm. Um, you know, at the same time, I, I kind of, my gauge is that, that we're, we're kind of uh, on the money at the moment. So okay. we've obviously got very difficult concerns to balance. We've got, uh, you know, a growth problem here. You know, we don't, we don't particularly want to, to squash our economy. Um, you know, mm. uh, we have an unemployment rate that is, that is absolutely staggering. Yeah. Um, sure, that's, you know, a lot of that is structural. But uh, at the same time, you know, you can see it already. The mechanism that we're feeling it in is, is obviously the local currency, which is incredibly weak. Um, so I think I think they, they've got a very difficult balancing act. I, I don't get the sense that we're, we're dramatically behind the curve. Remember, the U.S. has also been incredibly aggressive with its interest rate heights compared to Europe. Um, and uh, yeah, I kind of see us as, as uh, middle of the road at the moment. I think we're doing what we have to do and, 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 and weighing both sides. Mm. I don't know if it was just me, but um, after the Fed meeting, I, I feel like the U.S. markets did not react as badly as I would have expected. Uh, Roy, what did you think of the market reaction to the, the, Fed, the Fed decision? Well, the thing is, I guess the market was finely balanced between those who thought that there was a possibility of a, of a pivot and those who believed that, um, that the Fed would keep to its stance since Jacksonville or whatever it takes. So, so yes, um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time to get to the absolute bottom. And remember, there's the other side of the coin. If you look at earnings expectations right now, they haven't changed dramatically in the second half of the year. Mm. Um, and if these start being revised downwards because of these higher interest rates, because of the tighter financial conditions, then what you'll see is suddenly in the third quarter, we'll see U.S. stocks are actually expensive and not fairly valued. And then they take another leg down. So, so I think people are still digesting it. Mm. Um, just acknowledging the fact that we're in for another two to three years of relatively high interest rates takes a little bit of time for people to, to digest and, and then feed it through earnings. So, so I think it's only the beginning. I mean, today, look, look at our market today. Midway through the morning, the top 40 was down about 1.6, 1.7. We're now down about three. So I think that news is now beginning to get to bleed into the market and, and people are beginning to see the real consequences of such a coordinated rate hiking cycle. Mm. Just lastly, on the mm. macro front, I actually read an interesting article on CNBC International that said HSBC warns investors to avoid European stocks, of course, because of what's mm. happening there, um, recession risk and also the energy crisis. I mean, uh, this is an area, Gary, that's usually seen as having cheaper valuations compared to the U.S. What would you be thinking um, about navigating that space right now? 
Well, that's exactly the question that we're discussing in research uh, <laughs> this mm -hmm. week, our research meetings this week as well. I mean, Europe, it's, a, it's in a mess. It's a very, very tricky destination to, to invest in, but uh, it all comes down to valuation at the end of the day. You know, uh, will... You know, will you see you know a, a significant recovery from these prices, you know these levels? Um, because because there's no question that their stocks are cheap, and, and like you said, their stocks are always cheap though. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, the overall like if you look at something like the Eurostox 50, it hasn't performed particularly well. We were, we were kind of discussing scenarios in which uh, we might see a, a big catalyst or a big relief rally that that could trigger you know, improved equity prices in Europe. And at this stage, it, it's really that uh, Putin throws in the towel, which seems very very unlikely. Yeah. Um, there's no question it's cheap though, and, and, and I always get the, you know, I'm always kind of concerned. So, when everything looks this bleak, um, there's definitely opportunities because there are some very, very interesting and very, very good companies in Europe, um, you know, and that will survive this, that will get through it. But uh, are they cheap enough? I think is the question that, that, that you have to ask. Hmm. And uh, it's difficult, and it's, it's actually it's part of my stock pick this evening, so I'm not oh, going to okay. ruin it. But um, <laughs> we, 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 have, we have a way of you know, the way that we would choose to play Europe because, you know, in dollar terms, Europe is one of the worst performing, uh, you know, Eurostock 50 is one of the worst performing indices that that, that we have. Mm. I mean, it's it's almost mirroring the, the NASDAQ if you if you consider it in dollar terms, just with the weakness that we've seen in the euro and obviously the big sell-off that we've seen in the equity markets. Yeah. Um, Roy, your cards on playing the European stocks? The thing about Europe is this, you, you, first of all, Gary's absolutely right. It, ultimately boils down to valuation and margin of safety. But there's a couple of dynamics from the top down that I think the listeners should be aware of. First of all, I think the, the business plan of Europe has changed. Previously, it was all about cheap energy, trade surplus, selling into the rest of the world. That's not happening anymore. The energy is no longer cheap. They've gone to trade, trade deficits, um, and, and they don't have, and, and, and their the manufacturing base, the advantageous manufacturing base there doesn't exist. So I think companies that manufacture in Europe or trade in Europe are going to see trouble over the next six to 12 months, regardless of what happens this winter. So to me, I would, I would, I would, I would, I would wait and see. Remember as well that the diversification, a lot of their businesses did was to go into emerging markets mm. and African markets and that sort of thing. And those are the ones who are being hit hardest by this dollar problem. So you have softer demand, softer top line, um, valuation starting from a cheap level, getting even cheaper. It's really dark. But I think you can wrap it all up by just saying global liquidity is going down. Um, we're going in for a global, global slowdown, a significant global slowdown. Mm. Equities are probably not the place you want to be, broadly speaking. But if you find the right valuations, you definitely can invest over the medium to longer term, is, is, is how I would put it. Yeah. All right. Uh, there's a question here. Um, what is the panel's appetite for the short-term insurance sector in light of Outsurance's upcoming listing on the JSC? Gary, uh, would this be something that you would be dipping your toes in, Outsurance? Oh, I think I think it's definitely interesting. I mean, we've always we've always liked uh, RMI historically, and I think you know the opportunity in RMI has obviously been the value unlock because of the uh, you know that that narrowing of the discount uh, as RMI as a holding company, and now you're going to be able to get direct access to you know a business that I think everyone has liked for a long time, which is Outsurance. So yeah. I suppose um, yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. I think short-term insurance has had a very difficult run, uh, you know, last say two or three years. We've had all sorts of problems in South Africa that have uh, obviously increased claims ratios but uh no i think uh, hopefully we can 
put that behind us, and, and uh, I think uh, maybe we're going to get a, a better couple of years. And in which case, these these maybe look cheap. At the same time, we're also we're also looking at uh, kind of a more value oriented market. And uh, you know, our, our view is uh, you know just from a top down point of view in portfolios is to to increase exposure to to financials financial services specifically, mm. um, whether it's bank short term insurance or asset managers. And uh, and there's no question, uh, you know, our insurance is is a, is a fantastic business. So it's uh, yeah, definitely something that we are considering. Um, Roy, short-term insurance, is it something that uh, you are looking at right now? No, ab absolutely. Um, specifically, insurance. I mean, if you think about it from the context of the delistings that have been happening in, on, on the JSC, I think, first of all, fewer holding companies, more operating entities, big tick, big positive. There's not much of, an, of, of a, of a short-term insurer presence outside of Santam, which is quite illiquid, and, and maybe a couple of other smaller ones. Um, so, so this one's very welcome. It also has solid growth prospects outside of SA with established businesses there. So, no, it's definitely one that we look at quite closely um, and really appreciate its listing, mm. considering what we have. I mean, yeah, we haven't had many listings recently. Yeah. All right. Let's get into banking. Uh, Sassman Bank, what is the... the what does the panel think of Sassfin Bank? Uh, this week it had headline earnings per share growing at 24%. Uh, they saw good growth in loans. Their wealth business also posting a sound performance and they've declared a dividend that's 18.2% higher than that of the previous year. So I know that there's been a lot of hype when it comes to the banks. Um, would you be looking at Sassfin, a niche bank like Sassfin Gary with that kind of excitement as well? Um, yeah, so you, you look at it. Um, we don't we don't currently hold Sasfin. Um I mean, I think it is a, it is a very interesting bank. As you say, it's a niche bank, so it, you know, far more an entrepreneurial bank, uh, kind of almost a second tier bank. But uh, you're looking through the results. I mean, really, really good uh, good set of uh, set of numbers. So, I mean, you're seeing you know, deposits growing, you're seeing loans growing, you're seeing AUM growing. You know, everything is heading in the right direction. It looks like they're coming out of uh, kind of this this very you know strange period that we've had for two years in yeah. in, in very a very strong fashion. Um, I suppose the, the the two like the wealth management business has done exceptionally well. I mean, we we work with the guys there; they they absolutely top quality. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, the, the business and commercial banking is maybe maybe just just a little bit of a drag on the business as well. But uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting company to look at, but not not one that we're holding at the moment. Uh. But, but uh, I think a decent set of results uh, this week. Um, Roy, on your side, your thoughts on Sassman? Um, yeah, no, we don't hold it either, and, and I think I think that result was largely underpinned by what happened in asset finance and wealth and, and the wealth business. I mean, asset finance coming back after the lockdowns and everything with SMMEs now beginning to borrow for operations and everything. Mm. So maybe it's not a bad, no, maybe it's not a bad investment as such. But there's so much value from the big four banks. Um, sometimes you just think. Why, 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 look, why look further than them? Uh, They're trading on like one times price to books, dividend yields of six, seven to eight percent. Um, don't have credit problems. They're growing their loan books. Um, Pre-provisioning operating profit is, is actually improving across the board. Um, yeah, makes you sleep well at night. <laughs> All right. Does uh, City Lodge, Gary, make you sleep well at night? Um, we did have them posting results um, this week. Uh, an 89% reduction in their headline loss. Occupancies, though, not back to pre-COVID levels. And actually, when they did release their results, um, the stock was down, I think, more than 2%.
And I'm wondering if there is uh, some concern on City Lodge if they can get back to uh, their former glory. Well, certainly helping a lot more people sleep at night than they did under COVID. <laughs> so, um, yeah, with uh, with the yeah looking at City Lodge results, it wasn't it wasn't a terrible set of results. As you say, the occupancies are increasing, still not at pre-pandemic levels. Um, revenue also increasing, but I think you know just a little bit more slowly. We've seen we've seen such an aggressive re-rating in the share price. Um, and and we haven't quite seen that track up in in, in revenue numbers either. So I mean they, they posted just over a, a billion in revenue this this time around. I mean that that was up from 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 last time as well. But you know still still well off the the 2020 uh, number of of around 1.3 billion. So I mean they they are struggling to to get uh, you know keep people to come and use them again. I suppose we, we're not at the level that we saw saw pre pandemic. Uh, certainly not, and I mean even even into into the pandemic, I mean dropping off from kind of about uh, 1.35 billion in revenue. So um, I, I think still just uh, you know facing facing uh, you know a difficult environment locally. I mean you know we, we the maybe the spending is not there, maybe the the, the the business travel is not there as well. So I mean a well-run business, but I think it's it's suffering from the the difficult macroeconomic factors that South Africa faces. Yeah, and I was actually just about to say, you talk about business travel, and they're also suffering because of you guys. Look at you guys; you're not even coming into studio. You're still on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> and I was actually, I mean, Roy, what do you think? Because I mean, business travel is just not picking up as. As, as quickly as we thought it would. Uh, people are still enjoying the benefits of the virtual platforms and virtual meetings and, and conferences and all of that. So, um, I don't know. It is, yeah. it is so difficult to justify business travel. It's, I mean, across the board, it's all about only essential stuff. But on the positive, you're seeing conferences go up. I mean, you saw from Sun International um, what they said about Sun City and all of that. So people do want to get out, mm. but it, it's not the same as pre-COVID. Everyone wants to get out. Everyone wants to do face-to-face. But the budgets aren't there because the economy is not doing that well. So what you're seeing is a little bit of an improvement, but not heading in that direction. I think a big positive for City Lodge is when they showed their sequential occupancies from the year end. I mean, they're up to about 56% in September, which is a massive improvement relative to where they were in the dark old days. And just remember, the comparative period still has a little bit of lockdown in it. Mm -hmm. So... So I think what you'd probably see here is a continued improvement in balance sheet um, occupancies and cash generation. But um, yeah, to catch up with pre-COVID is going to take quite a big effort and, and also for for treasurers and, and, and accountants everywhere to loosen the purse strings a little bit more. Mm. Um, just lastly on that, Gary, I mean, would you be looking at... Um, a business play like City Lodge or maybe uh, another counter, maybe like Sun International, that's kind of more exposed to leisure? Yeah, I think, yeah, like I said, I think that the, the time to buy, you know, either the City Lodges and the Sun Internationals was really in, in the peak pessimism around COVID. And, and like I said, for, for us, the, the concern is around the valuation of the stock. It's, it's not necessarily the business. Uh, yeah, as Roy was saying, a lot of hard work still needs to be done. But uh, it, for me, it's the macroeconomic factors that are, are playing against it. I mean, you talk about business travel, you know, just, you know, more difficult to justify business travel. It's also because I, like, it's, flight prices are so much more expensive yeah. these days. We can't even, we can't even travel, you know, sure. like... 
and I mean, you know, with the oil, oil prices as high. So, I, like, from my point of view, I think the bounce back has maybe been a little bit too aggressive. I think the valuations are still a little bit too extended. The businesses are recovering, but you almost, you know, I don't, I don't think, for me, the, the opportunity still isn't there. But, um, yeah, with, with maybe a little bit more of a, a downward rating in the share prices, they would become buyers, but, but not today. Yeah, those flight prices are quite hectic. I was looking at flight prices to Cape Town. Um, 7.8 around those prices and it's absolutely yeah. insane you get people for example that we're going to go to rocking the daisies now selling their tickets <laughs> but yeah so let's go into telcos Roy. um south seas uh, or blue labels recapitalization of south sea is there a simple way <laughs> that you can summarize that for us and what it actually um, means for south sea <laughs> so so south sea as it stands right now blue labels um, investment in it was written down to zero because they're yes. pretty much bankrupt. Yeah. What they did was they went to the people who sell sea owed money and basically told them, either we'll shut this thing down, you lose all your money, or you lose some of your money and you have the opportunity to make it back up. Mm -hmm. So the ones who figured, actually, just pay me what you can pay me and I'll walk away, got 20 cents on yeah. the rent. The ones who figured, you know what, pay me my 20 cents and I'll reinvest it, got, I think it was 55 cents on the rent. Okay. So that's clear. So now it's a going concern. A lot of the debt has been written off. There's still some debt. They needed a little bit of working capital. Um, Blue Label organized among its um, subsidiaries to mm. advance them some cash in exchange for airtime. Okay. Done deal. Now, how does Celsius operate from here on? They don't have a radio access network. So what they've done is the biggest asset apart from the tax loss is they have Spectrum. So what they're doing is they, they, they go to MTN and say, listen, we have Spectrum, you have a radio access network. Let us use your radio access network, but using our Spectrum to service our clients. Okay. So you have a lower rate of um, being charged roaming, so to speak. Uh. And that makes them a viable business. So they don't have to spend on steel towers everywhere, which means their capex is a lot lower. So that means their free cash flow is a lot higher. So they're more valuable as a business. And then on top of all of that, because of all the losses they made all those years, they've got some mm. tax, tax losses in their books. So that means they won't be paying tax mm. for a long time. Mm. So for a basic investor, if you had direct access to sell C, what you would see is much better free cash flow, a viable company, a lot of the debt will go, um, but we have to see all of this in the performer incomes, income and balance sheet statements, which will probably only come out within the next week or so. Mm. So I, I think, I, I hope that helps. Yeah, no, it does. Thank you very much. Um, mm -hmm. Just lastly on this, before we go to your stock picks, Gary, um, Obviously, Blue Label is the major shareholder of South Sea, and I would imagine that there was a lot of nervousness um, with um, all the troubles that South Sea was going through, a lot of nervousness in terms of investing in Blue Label. So now that South Sea is a going concern again, um, and Blue Label will then focus on its core business, would Blue Label be a counter that you would look at? Uh, so it's still a little bit small for me, but it's yeah, just just from from our, our portfolio point of view. But uh, you know, I mean, this market cap sitting about five billion, which is it's it's, it's not not massive. So uh, liquidity is not always there to get in in and out for clients. But uh, it's certainly interesting. And I mean, the market the market liked uh, you know you know the most the most recent announcements. We saw that up. I mean, year to date, it's actually not doing doing badly. I think you know, exactly as you say, the, the kind of that risk premium almost being removed from the stock. So it's up twenty one percent for the year. Um, 
you know, it's it's you know through through obviously the the restructuring as well. I mean, it's it's taken Celsius move from forty five percent to to just uh, just under fifty percent. Yeah. So yeah, it it definitely looks interesting. Um, I suppose like as a telco, you know, as your preferred telco, though, do you go do you go blue label, which is small and kind of yeah. uh, it's almost like Roy's argument around the banks. Do you go Sassman or do you okay. go with, with some really good quality big banks? Like, yeah. I mean, you, you to, to go and look at something like MTN, which has obviously got you know trading at a cautionary with uh, with with mm. Telcom, uh, but I mean, two hundred seventy million uh, subscribers, access yeah. across Africa. I think it really de- it really depends on your investment thesis and uh. and if if the goal of your local portfolio is to to try and leverage um, what could be a very exciting growth on the African continent over the next five to ten years. Now, for me, it's it's okay. MTN over Blue Label. All right, I hear you. All right, let's get to your stock picks, gentlemen. Thirty seconds each. Uh, Roy, what will it be today? I'll stick to the local market. I was looking at Advertech the other day, and education, regardless of how dark times get, is aspirational. And these guys are doing it incredibly well. They've kept their capex. They've come over their capex hump. They're paying out dividends. They've got high occupancies. Um, they're nicely spread out between um, basic education and and higher education. And the Africa growth story is actually panning out, whether it's in places like Kenya or 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 in Namibia and play and, and, and more neighboring countries. So that I like. I think on a forward basis it looks cheap, good cash generation, very little debt, so no problem from interest rates. Um yeah, so Advertech would be my pick. All right. So what's your pick today, uh Gary? As mine's complicated. I'm going to try and do it in 30 seconds. So okay. we, I'm doing a, 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 tri- a triple index auto call. So the indices are NASDAQ, um, the Eurostox, and the um, uh, and the Nikkei, okay. right? So basically what happens is you essentially investing in a product that, that runs for five years. Um, the observations are semi-annually after the first year. So you get nine chances to win, if you want to put it that way. All you need is all three indices to be positive at any of those observations. So uh, as long as the Nikkei, Eurostox, and, uh, and uh, the NASDAQ. Uh, NASDAQ at least, yeah. Are, are all positive at any of those nine observations, you get a 50, or it's a, at least a 14% US dollar coupon per year, simple interest. So, I mean, this is way, this is about a 7% real return in US dollars that you're going to get in, in what's a, a very difficult market. And on top of that, we'll add capital protection. So if the worst index obviously falls um, down to about 35% over four years, you get all your money back. So even after five years, if, if all, like the worst of those indices is down 34%, you get all your money back. So that's my, that's my pick for today. All right. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for your insights today. That's it for Stockwatch this week. Thanks to my guests, Gary Boyson from Rand Swiss and Roy Motooni from AFSA Asset Management. From Ms. Natit Kuma and the rest of the team, have a great weekend. Thank <laughs> you.